is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, Internet. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 574, recorded on Monday, March the 14th, 2022. Welcome to the program, one and all. Welcome, Jason. How's it going this week? Satisfactory. Satisfactory. You, how are How are you? I'm okay. I'm a little worn down. I had to work yesterday. And by work, I mean drive to a city about an hour away, spend... I don't know, seven, eight hours there and then drive home after. And then it was cold and snowing. And so my toes froze and uh, I had to warm up at times. However, the day was generally successful, but you know, it's a Sunday and I didn't get my weekend. So I'm going to take a day off coming up sometime soon to make up for it. But long story short, yeah, just sort of worn out a little bit from that. Super. Yeah. Great. eh? I, I did not work yesterday. I did work today. Well, it is Monday. It's a more more traditional work day than Sunday. It is. Yeah. I, not for everybody. I, I get that. But uh, if I had to work on weekends all the time, I'd probably have like a weekday off, right, more often. So um, it was kind of fun. I was at an outdoor hockey game in a football stadium um, between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres. Was, oh, that's fun. It was pretty fun, yeah. I have watched a number of these outdoor NHL games on TV before. And I do think they're pretty fun to watch on TV, but I was really excited to go see one live in person. But I've decided, Jason, that a football stadium is a terrible venue for a hockey game. Well, things are spaced out a little farther, right? The stands are a little farther away from the ice. Yeah, that's the thing. They build a rink in the middle of the field, and this, but the seats don't come right up to the, the rink like in a hockey arena, right? The seats are way back. And if you're right down at the front, of the stands, you're basically like at ice level, looking straight across at a rink that's 100 feet away from you. It's not a good position to watch a hockey game. And if you're farther up in the stands, you're just too far away. So it's not great. It's a fun experience and it's neat to be outside and and there was snow falling, which it, it looks really cool, but it's just not designed for watching hockey. Watching it on TV is really cool because the cameras are close and you get a good view and and all the same effect with the snow is there. It's just, you know, you feel like you're a lot closer. So it was a fun experience. I did have to work for a bunch of the time, uh, but you know, that's that. Well, there you go. Now your your Sunday is over. You've warmed up. Mm -hmm. You've uh, watched the episode. You uh, are sitting down in front of your microphone and a warm, cozy fire. Uh, probably not, but you know, maybe no. there's there maybe there's some warmth around you. I at mean, at least the, uh, the the love and adoration of your family and and pets. Yeah, there's all that. Will warm of you up. Yeah, yeah there yeah. you go. So uh, yeah, good. So back to real life. Yeah, there we go. Uh, no fire. It would be nice if there was a a fire crackling in the background, though, wouldn't it? It would, as long as you have a fireplace. Well, right? absolutely. Yeah, if, they, if you're, you know, your room was on fire. No, no, no. The radiators are just uh, radiating out heat and doing their job. So I'm they happy do about that. that. Yeah, I've heard they do that a lot. All right. Well, enough of that. Uh, welcome everyone to the show. We are here to chat about the most recent episode of The Walking Dead. Now it's season eleven, episode twelve. I realized something, Jason, after watching this episode. No, but. <laughs> I realized that we're now halfway through season 11. 
Really? Well, there's going to be 24 episodes. And here we are talking about number 12. We're halfway done. We are halfway finished the final season. There's only 12 more after we wrap up this one. Yeah. Is the the glass half empty or half full? It's uh, half empty because we're counting down to the end, I think. Yeah. Well, it could be half full because are you more of a glass half empty or uh, glass half full kind of guy? I think if you'd asked me that when I was younger, I would have said more of a glass half full. But now as I get older and more jaded, I'm much more glass half empty kind of guy. I have uh, I have two minds of, of the glass half empty, half full thing. One is, depends on what you were doing. Sure. If you were filling the glass, it's half full. If you were drinking from the glass, the glass it's half empty. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Yeah. And the engineer in me uh, it says that the uh, uh, the glass is twice as big as it needs to be. There you go. It's using more space than it has to. Yeah. Yeah. You over-engineered that glass. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, you know, I think, I feel like we're counting down towards the end. So we're taking episodes out of the glass as we go. And this season of The Walking Dead is now half empty. All right. Well, I look at it as we're piling up episodes. All right. So we're half full. All right. Well, either way. Something is half, and it is episode 12 of uh, season 11. Let's begin with some title reads. Not a man among us moved. Growling the foulest imprecations, he crawled along the sand until he got hold of the porch and could hoist himself again upon his crutch. Then he spat into the spring. There, he cried, that's what I think of you. Before an hour's out, I'll stove in your old blockhouse like a rum puncheon. Laugh, by thunder, laugh. Before an hour's out, you'll laugh upon the other side. Then that'll die, be the lucky ones. The lucky ones. All right, so thank you, Tallahassee's twin brother and Matt and Frankie in Oklahoma City. Tallahassee's voice sounds like a celebrity, Jason. I just can't put my finger on who it is it uh it's pretty rich and uh and very nice to listen to great voice should work in voiceover work if he doesn't but there's somebody there's just somebody that it sounds like and i'm gonna keep trying to figure it out i just haven't been able to put my finger on it yet i don't know but thank you to both of you for that do you know where that little monologue is is from that he delivered not a clue no it's from treasure island and i I did i didn't either but I, I looked it up, and so if, in case anyone was wondering, Treasure Island. Well, there you go. I've never read Treasure Island. Ah, it's been decades for me, but uh, yeah. I think I did in school. I've seen a movie called Treasure Planet made by Disney uh, way back in the day. Which is an adaptation of Treasure Island, if I'm not it mistaken. It is, yeah. yeah, but it takes place in uh, space. Right. So uh, that's probably as close as I got. Okay. Well, you can always go back. Go grab Treasure Island on Audible and put it on. Yep. I don't think I'm going to do that. Oh, well, it, it, it can't hurt. You're going to go through your whole life never having read Treasure Island? Yeah. Probably. It's, <laughs> it's too late now, right? I've never seen Tootsie. Oh. I've always wanted to see Tootsie. I've always thought, you know, someday I'll see that. Right. It's an important movie to see, uh, but I never have seen it, and it's always been a, a regret of mine that I've never seen Tootsie. I, I own it. I, I have it in my library. I still haven't seen it. Well, you know, you can rectify that anytime you want. Uh, just not right now, because we're here no, to do something right else. Now. Yeah. 
and I've heard uh, the only the real compelling thing here is uh, is that uh, I'm uh, I heard that Gina Davis spends a lot of that movie in underwear. <laughs> well, then I can't believe you haven't watched it by now. <laughs> well, I didn't know that until probably within the last year, and so it's uh, it's kind of raised a little bit on my uh, to do list. Okay, uh, is to watch that movie. All right. Well, you'll let us know if you do and how it goes. Sure. Or don't. I'm not so sure. Anyway, Either way, it's fine. Yeah. All right. So this is The Lucky Ones, episode 12. And I, I feel like, Jason, if this episode of The Walking Dead was like a CSI, it would be something like The Walking Dead Trade Relations or something like that, you know? Because a big part of this episode, really the biggest part, is... Lance and Milton traveling around to the different communities to try and like make a deal basically and negotiate a little bit. And, uh, -huh. uh, I'm not sure if it was the most compelling TV I've ever watched. I'm just going to say that up front right now. Well, there you go. Yeah. I don't know. It, 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 for me, it dragged a little, meandered a little, and I couldn't help but think, okay, I mean, I, I see what they're doing here, but at the same time, you know, just having her travel around and try to make a deal with Aaron and Oceanside and Maggie at Hilltop. I'm not sure it was my favorite, but let's get through it. And maybe by the end, we'll, I'll have a different opinion. It's like Star Wars, the prequels, the prequel, uh, prequel Star Wars movies. You start off and uh, what's the, what's the best thing you think that uh, Star Wars could do for a, uh, a younger audience that is excited about uh, uh, having a, a new Star Wars movie after uh, after 20 years. Yeah, trade relations. Trade relations and negotiations yeah. of, uh, you know, trade routes. Yeah, how could that possibly be boring? <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, it's a, and then uh, if, uh, whenever you can get a, a debate in the Senate in there. Oh, yeah. Uh, to, uh, to soak up a bit, a bit of runtime, that'd be a great thing to do too. So those, I mean, these, are, these are great ideas. There's nothing that kids of a certain age want to see more than political intrigue, right? Yeah. I mean, I, when I was 10 years old, that's exactly what I wanted. And I didn't get it from Star Wars. And look what happened. Yep. There you go. All right. Well, let's begin this episode. Okay. So we actually don't really start with the whole trade relations stuff, but instead we pick up with Max explaining how she ended up on the radio with Eugene. And she says she found parts in a dumpster. She built her own radio. Um, and what we're seeing kind of is her side of some of the conversations that they had, whereas before we saw Eugene's side, right? It's the the ice cream conversation. Um, she, you know, just some of the, just some of the more obvious stuff that we might remember from the last time they spoke. And the one thing she does mention is that she never thought that leaving this place was possible, meaning the Commonwealth. Right. Uh, which I think is important because, well, as we've mentioned before, so far what we've heard from almost everybody is, yeah, you can leave whenever you want. You can, you, you know, you're, we're fixing up your other communities and then you can go. Yet here's uh, Max saying, I didn't think leaving was possible. So that seems to counter what we've been told so far. Um, and then what happened is her brother, Mercer, found her radio, tells her that he had to investigate an unauthorized radio talking to a rogue community, was what he says. Um, you know, and of course it was her. Uh, he says doing that is dangerous for everyone at the Commonwealth, but especially the two of them. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean exactly? Like, why is it they're, more dangerous for them? They're the Rebel Alliance. They don't want to get caught. 
is she in, is she part of it? I mean, she is. We know that. Yeah, that's right. Because she said, "I'm like you" to Tyler, right? Yeah. So yeah, they're the, they're the Rebel Alliance, and it's dangerous for them uh, because they, you know, their whole organization will be uh, uh, will be put under scrutiny if uh, if they get caught. So basically, just further evidence that Mercer is involved in this. In my mind, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, we cut ahead to that ice cream scene that we've seen before where Eugene asks Max if it's Rocky Road and she just kind of walks away, right? Because she didn't want him to recognize her voice. And she expresses in the voiceover that she's doing that she hated seeing Shira pretending to be Stephanie. And she's kind of upset that Eugene seemed so happy. Which, like uh, how, yeah, I, get I didn't it. tell you, she lied to you. How could you not know? It's your fault for being a, an idiot and uh, being fooled. How could you, how could you be so stupid? Yeah. I mean, I don't think she was really saying that she was, I mean, it does kind of come to that. You're right. Um, how could you not know it was me kind of attitude? Uh, but at the same time, I think she ultimately realizes that Eugene was being fooled. Like it's, yeah, he, he had no reason to to suspect at first that wasn't her, right? Yeah, he's, um, and he explains it rather well, right? Overall, overall in the episode, he explains it rather well that, you know, (laughs) I don't have a lot of luck with, uh, you know, with romance. And, uh, you know, when I met her, she said she was you and we got along great. And she said, you know, I was getting the green light. So, uh, you know, I was all in. Here's the thing, like, at the the last episode, right, they wake up in bed together. So this was all a ruse, but I mean, we're led to believe that uh, Shira slash Stephanie went all the way, <laughs> convincing yeah. Eugene that they were uh, in love. That's a crime. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. That's you a crime. You can't fool somebody into having sex. No. Pretending to be somebody else. That That's a crime. I guess. Yeah. It's, it's certainly uh, not a very nice thing to do. Yeah. Like, you know, if I pretended to be, uh, someone I wasn't in order to get somebody in bed, mm-hmm. that would, uh, that would, that's definitely not the right thing to do. No, it's definitely not. But when, it, yeah, I just, whatever, uh, whatever Hornsby had going on here and which we sort of know already, but like Mac, uh, not Max, uh, Shira was, was fully on board, very willing to do what needed to be done to convince Eugene of, of, uh, her false identity. So interesting stuff. Anyways, um, we do see Max interact with Governor Milton and Milton mentions that her son is acting like an asshole and she wants to cut off his line of credit. Um, And then Hornsby shows up and Max says that he was talking about Alexandria, like he comes in to talk to uh, Milton about it. So she clearly knows that her son is a stupid little dick and... uh, Uh She's cutting off his funding. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. No, it's, uh, and it, he's just going to, he's going to freak out because, you know, uh, people like that, that have their uh, source of income or source of credit cut off, mm-hmm. uh, don't go quietly. They're like, they don't just sulk in the corner and go, oh, poop, I'm out of money now. I better straighten up and fly right and earn my own way. Guess I'll have to get a job. I guess I'll get a job and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, become a productive mo- member of society. No, they freak the fuck out and start throwing tantrums. Yeah. 
Yes, they do. Well, I just think it's interesting that she knows he's an asshole and doesn't kind of shelter him in a way, right? Like she's trying to teach him a lesson. Yeah, she's she's totally she's been enabling him his whole life, and now's the time to uh, to teach him a lesson. Like yeah. you don't get to be like that overnight. It's not like something he decided a week ago Friday to to do. Uh, it's, it's something that he's always been. And so uh, she's been, uh, I assume that she's been cutting him off and letting him back on the hook or on the leash and cutting him off and, uh, you know, playing these games his whole life, Mm -hmm. just jerking him around. So it just makes him a worse human being. Yeah, I guess it makes them all kind of, uh, questionable for sure. Um, back in the alley where Eugene and Max are actually talking, he asks her basically what Lance is planning. And see, she says she doesn't know, but she does mention the rebuild. And, um, you know, she goes on to say that, you know, her name is Max. There is no Stephanie. And then Eugene is hurt enough, so he walks off. But again, the rebuild, Jason, what is she referring to there? Like, is she talking about Lance's essentially rebuilding of Alexandria and the other communities, or is there some other rebuild going on that I'm not understanding? Um, if you're not understanding, I'm not understanding. The only thing that's being rebuilt is the other communities. So I have to assume that it's that. And I mean, that's in a way that's very literal. Like they're physically rebuilding these places cause they were destroyed, but is there some other more metaphorical rebuild going on? I, I don't know. And, I'm I'm just not sure exactly what she was referring to. So I would have to assume that they're they're in a six million dollar man type situation. They're rebuilding someone that got hurt, uh-huh. and uh, and and Max. We know that she has the technology uh, to rebuild him uh, better than than he was using the the shit she found in the dumpster. And now the Eugene's here. I'm sure he could help. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, that bionic eye is not going to build itself. So uh, maybe he could get on board. <laughs> so the Robocop, they're building Robocop. Well, it's $6 million man. I mean, Robocop. Yeah, I guess they're both pretty much the same. Right. Uh, you know, Robocop got into uh, uh, got into trouble and damn near got killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they rebuilt him. Um, and he had a semblance of humanity left, whereas uh, the $6 million man, he crashed his, uh, his X-plane mm-hmm. and uh, they rebuilt him, but they did not, you know, alter his personality or try and subvert his consciousness, right? They just kind of gave him an eye and legs and an arm. I forget. It's been a long time. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. I, I know, know he could jump really high and I know he could see really far, uh, but then Wonder Woman can do that too. So I don't know. <laughs> yes there's a there's a comparison there i guess six million dollar man and wonder woman <laughs> and the hulk it was all around the same time frame sure right? yeah we had lou ferrigno jumping really high too yeah so uh, yeah it's hard to say all right well anyways after the opening credits we come back and we are with a rather large commonwealth caravan now this is the caravan that's taking milton and lance on their tour of the communities they are in one of the vehicles and Lance is talking about how these communities are perfect for what they're envisioning. Exactly what that means, I don't know. Uh, Milton counters, though, that if you grow your empire beyond where your power extends, you lose your empire. So she's saying, I don't want to grow too fast because we can't necessarily control all these people the way we want to. And then she also says that she doesn't want to continue helping them rebuild if it doesn't go well, like if they're not willing to make a deal. 
No, so it's uh, standard video game stuff. You don't build too fast because then you uh, you can't maintain that. Like if you're playing SimCity or Civilization or uh, RimWorld or there's like a whole host of games where you need to, uh, you know, your 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 progress needs to be slow and steady and you don't overextend yourself because then everybody starves to death. Got it. Makes sense. So they arrive in Alexandria. They meet up with Aaron. And I got to say, Aaron seems really nervous and kind of anxious to make a good impression. Yeah, he's like, uh, move that pot, hide the hide the broken glass, uh, everybody safen up. Yeah, that's right. We we want to we want them to like us here, you know. Don't yeah. uh, don't mess this up. But he explains how Alexandria works. He mentions Maggie, uh, and Daryl has come with the uh, Commonwealth convoy. He's chatting with Mercer. He Mercer seems surprised that Daryl was one of the leaders here. Um, although Daryl sort of counters with, you know, we were all leaders and stuff like that. He says we had to fight a lot of fights to keep this place safe. And then Mercer wants to know what he did before the zombie apocalypse. And Daryl just says it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. It's, it was dec- It was more than a decade ago. And here we are now. It doesn't matter what I did back then. So they go inside and Milton is looking at a photo of Deanna and Reg, who, of course, were the original leaders at Alexandria. You remember mm-hmm. them, right? Yeah, Tova uh, Feldsha. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. And and Reg played by Steve Coulter or something like. I sorry, I forget the name exactly, but that might be it. Um, I should remember though because I met him at a Walker Stalker Con and took a picture. So uh, oh my god, if I remembered everybody I ever met, that'd be crazy. Oh and wait, didn't we have him on the podcast? I think we did because he's from Montreal and now works and lives in Atlanta. Sorry, Steve, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dick. But uh, anyways, he was in the photo, so he appeared on the show again. Awesome. <laughs> Very hope we got good. some money. Yeah, I hope so too. Uh, now, Milton says she knew Deanna in the past and said they crossed paths in philanthropy circles, pre-apocalypse, mm-hmm. of course. And Daryl says he admired her for bringing them in and says she built Alexandria for them and that was worth fighting for. That's mm-hmm. why they kind of kept it going after she died, right? Uh, Daryl and Mercer go outside to kill a zombie. They basically say they have a breach, but it's like one zombie. I, I feel like there was a large reaction for one zombie walking around. Oh, well, it's like ants, right? You get one ant, uh, you don't take care of it. You're going to have more ants, right? Uh, it's, it's, you're, yeah, one, and, and it's like mice. If you have one, one mouse, that means you have 50 mice. Yeah. So you never one, only have one or mouse or one ant. Yeah. They don't, they don't show up in ones and twos. No. Right? They uh, they show up on mass. Did you know that there's more uh, there's more biological mass of ants than there are humans on Earth or any other animal? Like all other animals combined, the bi- the the biomass of those animals don't equal the number of uh, the amount of biomass that ants have. That seems unlikely, but I'm not going to dispute you because you know shit like this. Fucking ants are everywhere. That is Absolutely so many everywhere. Ants. How how does the the planet sustain that many ants well i'm pretty sure that the planet's theirs and we kind of live on it okay Uh, uh, we think we think ants are just annoying this annoying little thing but they have some kind of weird collective consciousness and uh you know at some point they're gonna get pissed off like zombie apocalypse got nothing on the fucking ants ant uprising that's gonna happen just go i'm tired of you shitheads being on the planet even though we feed them Right? Yeah. I know. I feed them. They show up, show up at my house and they just, they take all my sugar, right? They just kind of, they find whatever sugar's lying around and they take it. Yeah. Uh, 
So, uh, you know, I'm pissed off, but I, you know, on some level, I kind of tolerated them. Just like, yeah, okay, you guys are okay. I'm not going to kill you or anything, but, uh, you know, if you could leave the house, that'd be great. That would be really nice. Yeah. Well, just one house. I just, you know, you can have the rest of the earth, go down as far as you want into the ground. Uh, you know, I just want this house yeah. and to have my own sugar. If All that's I want okay with you is guys. some sugar and a house. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Man, uh, the ant apocalypse kind of sounds scary. Yeah. I don't want to no, have, have anything to do with that. Uh, so um, when those guys run outside to kill the zombie, Milton asks Aaron how Deanna died. And he says that she was bitten and turned and they had to put her down. That was a crazy moment. I remember that moment. That's burned and etched into my memory. Yeah, and that's she, right. Uh, that uh, that face she had. It was inside one of the houses, right? It was in her house. Yeah, she was coming out of her bed bedroom. I think. Yeah, that's right. I recall that was crazy. Poor Deanna. Uh, and Reg was already dead because he was shot by oh that other guy who lived in Alexandria. Man, that was a while ago. I don't remember his name. Yep. Shit happened, man, in this show. <laughs> a lot of shit's happened, that's for sure. Uh, anyways, listen, we go back over to the Commonwealth, and Ezekiel is at a checkup, and Tommy, or I think they're pronouncing it Tommy, uh, because they used his name on, was it this episode? And it's Tommy. So I think we'll go with Tommy from now on. Sure. But he, he comes in to tell him that he's going into surgery, like, basically right away. And Jerry's delighted. But who is there to support Ezekiel? And but Ezekiel is upset that he jumped the queue, and he's kind of wondering what happened. You know? Yeah. How, how did this? How did I get in this position? Well, how do you jump the queue and not tell the patient, right? And just like act as if, uh, act as if, act as if they already know. It's like uh, they don't know shit until you tell them. Well, I, th- I think my understanding of what happened here is this was a root a checkup for Ezekiel, and so Tommy, the doctor. Um, didn't realize that he hadn't been informed yet. Uh, because the guy who's taking his blood said, I'm doing this is like pre-op blood work I'm doing. So I think maybe someone was supposed to tell Ezekiel, but didn't. Maybe that nurse who was taking the blood was supposed to tell him. So Tommy comes in and, and thinks he already knows, but he doesn't. Well, I don't know. So but you're right. It just, it strikes me that if you're in a hospital with a bunch of doctors that are going to perform surgery on you. Uh, you know, this kind of shit is indicative of something wrong in the, uh, the procedures that they have. This is the reason why people that go in for knee surgery, right on their leg, not this leg. Right. So the doctors look at it and go, uh, maybe it's the other leg. (laughs) (laughs) We should probably do the other one, but let's double check. (laughs) Yeah. It 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 reminds me of, uh, ever watched 30 Rock? Yeah, I've seen Dr. all of 30 Rock. Dr. Spachemin. Spachemin, Spaceman. Uh, Dr. Dr. Spaceman. Spaceman. Yeah, yeah, he was looking at it. They were uh, talking about doing a kidney transplant, and uh, he wrote down the opposite. You know, okay, you're going to be donating a kidney to him. It's like, no, no, I'm going to be don- no donating a kidney to him. It's like, uh, okay, that's fine. It's like, shouldn't you write that down? It's like, oh, no, I'll remember. I'll just look. He looked at the paper and went, opposite, opposite, opposite. I'll remember. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Just go with the go with the incorrect documentation, but just remember it's opposite day. Yeah, just try to remember it's opposite. Yeah. Oh my so god! This kind of thing makes me, uh, you know, it's a canary in the coal mine. It's like if they can't get their communication with the patient patient correct, uh, what's going on here? Yeah, there's something wrong. I mean, it is the apocalypse. They're probably 
understaffed and not really uh, the hospital i mean is you know maybe doesn't have the people they need to keep all the documentation straight i don't know but it is well, something that, you don't want to screw up that's the problem is yeah. if they're if they're doing that then uh, there might be something something wrong yeah you know if they are completely understaffed and overworked uh that's a problem yeah it is bad that's one place you don't want that to happen that's why uh that's why van halen uh you know in their rider said no blue m&ms uh, because, you know, when they were uh, touring around, they had very specific power requirements for their stage show and, uh, they needed a, an indicator as to whether or not whoever was putting on the show read the rider mm-hmm. in detail. And if they walked into the dressing room, there were fucking blue M&Ms. They're like, okay, we better check on the goddamn power because they did not read the rider. They didn't read it. It was a canary in the coal mine. Yeah. They used it as a, an easy way to check whether or not everything was exactly the way they needed it to be. That's a really cool uh, fact, actually. And, the, you know, and it got conflated. It's like, okay, they're such, you know, divas that they required the M&Ms, the blue M&Ms to be picked out. It's like, no, there was a reason for it. Yeah. They were using it as an indicator, an easy to see indicator of something being wrong. Right. So doctors not being able to communicate to patients that they have surgery the next day before they, uh, before they happen to show up for a checkup and get confused. It's just. I don't know. I got, there's a red flag waving around that, uh, there is, but it's not like, it's not like he can just phone him, right? There are no phones. He has to tell him in person or write him a letter, (laughs) you know? So I think maybe he just had intended to tell him, or maybe he sent this nurse in to do the blood and said, let him know the good news. I'll be there in 10 minutes. And he hadn't yet. I don't know, but yeah. Well, hopefully they don't operate in the wrong neck. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Get the right neck, please. The right neck. That's all (laughs) I ask. Of course. All right. Anyways, we go back to Pamela on her tour and now she has her feet in the ocean and she's at Oceanside to meet with Rachel, who's the leader of Oceanside. They chat about their battles with the saviors and the whisperers. And ultimately, Rachel says that if Maggie is on board with a partnership, they are too. But if she's not, Oceanside won't enter into any agreement. So basically she just respects Maggie so much and is like, you know what? She's done a lot for all of us. So if she thinks this is a good idea, I will defer to her and we'll go with it. Otherwise you're out of luck. Yep. They're in, I'm in. There you go. So now on their way to Hilltop, uh, Lance is kind of giving Aaron, who's traveling with them, a hard time about not knowing that Rachel wasn't on board. So he was looking for Aaron to be sort of the one pushing these communities a little bit to, to sign up with the Commonwealth. And, uh, he wasn't able to do that. And so he questions if Maggie is going to make this difficult and we don't know yet. Right. We don't know. And this is a problem that I run to run into at work all the time. Uh huh. It's accountability without responsibility. It's, uh, you know, if you are expecting something of somebody, Mm -hmm. tell them beforehand. Right. If you want Aaron to broker the discussion and and to provide information on the disposition of the various communities, uh, don't just surprise him and say, I expected you to tell us that uh, there was a problem here. It's like, no, go fuck yourself. Uh, You know, I'm not, I'm not accountable for this unless you tell me beforehand that this is something that's expected of me. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, that's, that's a shitty thing. Not a mind reader. Like you just need to let me know what your expectations are and I'll get it done. But if I don't know that, it's pretty hard to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. It is. 
No, it makes sense. Uh, but Lance also mentions that unless all three communities are on board, the Commonwealth will help none of them. So that's the stance for now, anyways. Uh, they but they didn't... <laughs> did they tell the communities that? Like, well, is he just telling Aaron? Is, is the ex expectation now that Aaron disseminate this information? Uh, you know, what's going on here? It's like, uh, you know, are they just going to be shitheads about it and not let anybody know that uh, this is... Yeah, you know, if you have expectations, fucking communicate them. Yeah, it's not clear. It's not clear at this point, right? What anybody knows. And um, by the end of the episode, we sort of realize some things about Lance Hornsby, I think. But uh, as of right now, like you're saying, he's he. It doesn't seem like there has been a lot of communication here, and that's tough. Like I was saying before, it's not like you can just phone people up and tell them. You got to go see them in person, right? So yeah. if he showed up at Alexandria. And we know Aaron is on board and he just, even at that moment was like, you got to get Oceanside and Maggie to come along. We're going to go there now. You know, you can tell them when we get there. I mean, that hardly works either. Right. But yeah. you know, it's, it is a, it's a tricky situation is all I'm saying. It is. And if you're going to have a, an episode about trade negotiations, you have to include policies and procedures. Right. You sure. need to be able to be clear on your policies, procedures, and expectations in your trade negotiations, or the whole thing's going to fall apart. Uh, and then you get in, and then you get ants. That's because that's how you get ants. Right. If, if I'm sorry. I meant war. That's how you get war. <laughs> yes. That's not good. Not good. But, uh, anyways, they are traveling along the road. They stop. They come across some people that, uh, had a wagon and they're killing some zombies. They jump out, run out to help, and it turns out that it's Maggie, Elijah, Diane, and Lydia fighting some zombies in the road. So that felt a little random to me. You know, they're on their way to Hilltop to see them, and they're just, they run into them on the road. I guess it's not impossible, but it felt like a, they needed a scene here with some zombie killing or some zombies at all. So we're like, eh, let's just make them run into them on the road. We'll save them from trouble. That happens. You run into people all the time you don't expect to. I suppose that's true. Yeah, that's true. You know, when I first moved to Toronto, I ran into people all the time that I didn't even know lived in Toronto. It's like, Alistair, I haven't seen you in years. What are you doing here? It's like, I live here now. Oh, great. It's nice to see you. And then I never saw him again, right? Never it's, saw him again. Know, yeah. But it happens. You run into people all the time in weird, unexpected locations. So when you have a writer that uh, is writing the whole thing, unexpected situations are commonplace. I guess they are. Yeah. Well, uh, after a commercial break, we're uh, back with Maggie. She's kind of cleaning up a little bit. Aaron and Daryl come up and she says that it's good to see them. But she also questions why they trust the Commonwealth. And I like Daryl's answer. He says, who says I do, basically. Uh, but it's good to see Alexandria getting cleaned up. So it seems like their word means something. Yep. He's going on their actions rather than what they say. They are, in fact, cleaning up Alexandria. So that buys them something anyways, right? It's not like they've just promised that and said, join us and then we'll start the cleanup. No, they're actually doing it, you know? No, and that's good. So I like that. Uh, and then Aaron mentions there are 50,000 people living at the Commonwealth. Um and before they can continue that conversation, Lance comes up and says Milton wants to go hunting because they got a bunch of extra rifles and they need to go hunting, I guess. Um, but 50,000 people, Jason, is this, uh, is that a number that you kind of figured or assumed for Commonwealth or did you think it was bigger or smaller or what? No, that's about right. Uh, you know, mid-sized 
city. Okay, right? yeah. I it, always compare everything to Sault Ste. Marie. Sault Ste. Marie, you know, fluctuates between 75 and 80,000 people. Right now it's probably a little bit lower, but uh, so that that's my that's my benchmark, right? So anything more than that is large. Mm-hmm. Anything less than that is, you know, mid-size. You know, 2,000 people is small. Mm-hmm. 100 people, like uh, Hilltop, 50 people is small. Yeah. Uh, but 50,000, it's a fair-sized city. It doesn't surprise me that there are... Uh, there's electricity and money and stuff on something that size because you need an economy in mm-hmm. something that size, you know, because people are not going to be, uh, you can't do everything, right? Not everybody can't do everything. Every, not everybody can be a farmer and a trader and uh, make your own butter and milk and, uh, you know, all the various things. You need to diversify, right? Yeah, with, you the, need- with a city that size. So in order to diversify, the best way to do that is use an economy. So it doesn't, now it doesn't surprise me with something that size, knowing that number, it doesn't surprise me that they have uh, a rudimentary economy. For sure. Now, 50,000 people, um, that makes it significantly smaller than the Civic Republic. It does. The CR, I think, I just went to the wiki and looked it up, 200,000 people. Yeah. So we're talking a quarter the size. And, um, this is something I've been wondering about a little bit. If these two groups are going to interact or cross over in any way, which I have to assume at some point they will, maybe not on this show, but I don't know. You know, 200,000 with a very advanced military versus the Commonwealth of 50,000 and foam stormtroopers. Yeah. If there's a conflict there, it seems pretty clear who would come out on top. Yeah. You know, foam doesn't stop bullets. It barely stops teeth. Yeah. Barely. <laughs> you know, a it, phone book would be better. A, a magazine uh, duct taped to your arm would be better than this foam armor that they're wearing, in my opinion. Sure. Unless I, okay. Do I assume it's magic foam? Like, am I wrong? Uh, you know, is it just look like foam and it actually is some kind of uh uh, polymer or uh, some kind of material that uh, is a lot tougher than it looks because it just looks like foam. It, it, I, I think it looks a little shinier than foam. So I do think there's something more to it than straight up foam, but it does kind of come across as maybe like plastic coated foam, which isn't going to help, which isn't going to do much anyways. Well, stormtroopers like, you know, from uh, Star Wars. Yeah. You know, that's obviously plastic. They, well, you know, they have lightsabers, they have, uh, you know, they have uh, phase or lasers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they have blast cannons, they have uh, tractor beams, you know, it's magic. So I assume that that plastic that they're using is some kind of weird, awesome, uh, super plastic. Sure. Of course, that makes some sense. But this is the zombie apocalypse on earth with none of those things. So uh, yeah. it's probably, um, you know, maybe it's that foam that cosplayers use. There's a name for it. E. EVA foam or EVO foam or something. I forget what it is, but, yeah. uh, uh, you paint that and it can look pretty shiny. So maybe that's what they uh, got well, going on Well, obviously here. is that, but I'm just thinking in the terms of, uh, you know, in world, uh, you know, what could this possibly be made of that, uh, that makes any sense whatsoever other than foam. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't have it. I don't have it. No, exactly. It's gotta be malleable so it can fit to your body and stuff, you know, so it can't be hard plastic. Well, it's in plates, right? So it's uh, it's plate armor, but it's it's foam plate yeah. instead of steel plate. Foam plate armor. There you go. 
anyways, I just thought the, the population number here was interesting. And so now we have a frame of reference for the size of the Commonwealth versus the Civic Republic. And we know the Civic Republic took out other communities of like 100,000 people, right? So yeah. the Commonwealth is like, the, well, they're the ants to the CR, you know, if they want to stomp them, they, it seems like they could. No, you missed the point. The answer on the, on the, uh, on the upside is way too many of them to do anything about. Well, I get it. But at the same time, you know, a foot, one foot can take out a lot of ants. And well, it depends on how many ants you're looking at, right? I if you're know. looking at 50 ants and you stomp them, you know, the ants are going to get pissed off and everything. But if you're looking at the, you know, 50 billion ants, yeah. Uh, you know, covering a hillside and you start running across that hillside, you're going to fucking die. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you are not, somehow they're going to get on your boots. They're going to start climbing. They're going to get into your eyes. You're going to get all, you know, you're scraping ants out of your eyes. You're going to trip and fall. And then the ants are going to swarm you. You're fucking dead. Even though you've probably killed millions of them just running through that hilltop. But, uh, those ants will get you. Yeah. I'm telling you. Ants, you're starting to cause a fear of ants in me. I'm You're, not well, going to lie. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't want to freak you out or anything. All right. I wonder what the word for uh, the phobia for being afraid of ants is, because I bet there is one. Oh, yeah. And I'm probably freaking somebody out. Sorry but, about that. Anyone yeah. who has antiphobia. Look uh, look up a short story called Leningen versus the Ants. I haven't been able to find it in a while, but I remember reading that in uh, in school and it was, uh, it was goddamn scary. Okay. I'm going to check that out. Sounds exciting. So anyways, Lance comes up, says they want to go hunting. And now in the forest, Mercer's leading the way. And Milton says she'll pair off with Maggie and sends the guys on their own way. And so Milton and Maggie go. They talk about how some communities survive and others don't. They talk about luck. And Maggie says luck is just about opportunity. And I sort of took that. Um, in the same way of when you hear someone say, you know, you make your own luck, right? You kind of, you got to be lucky to be good and good to be lucky sort of thing. Um, and so they continue talking and walking and Milton's going on about the responsibility of leading all these people. She says having the right allies is important regardless of how small they are. She's trying to talk Maggie into making this arrangement with them, right? And she says that the world belongs to them, not the dead. And she wants to restore the natural order that they lost in the zombie apocalypse. And she thinks that stability is found in large organized communities, not a million little ones fighting for resources. Uh, yeah, everything is good except for the uh, restore the natural order. Cause that's a, uh, that's a very uh, class centric, statement to make it's like uh, yeah, we don't know about natural order i think uh unnatural uh hierarchy uh and you know exploitation is probably more accurate yeah i mean there's so much wrong with the way the world is operated right now and pre-zombie apocalypse uh there's a lot of there's a lot of right about it i guess but if if you think of the natural order of doing things the sort of the way we did it before that's not always the best way. This is an opportunity no. to make, create something better. Yeah. And I mean, that's what Milton is saying she wants to do, but she wants to do it by restoring what they lost good or good and bad, I think, which is the problem. Yeah. So anyways, it, uh, the other thing I thought about this scene is I thought the tone was off a little bit, to be honest with you here, because her and Maggie go off walking and they're chatting like they're old friends or at least familiar with each other. And like, I got to think this is probably the first time they've met, 
right? It didn't seem like there was any of the uneasiness being around each other. They just felt very comfortable. And I thought it was a weird, it just gave me a weird feeling about these two. Like, it seems like they're old friends, but they're not. And I'm not sure where that came from, if it was the acting or the directing or what it was, but I wanted more tension between the two and I wasn't feeling it. Oh, no. And uh, I agree with you, except that I think that I could explain it in character. The, uh, you know, they're trying to be familiar with, familial with each other. They're trying to be, uh, put each other at ease. They're kind of conning each other, right? Uh, but why are they doing that? Like, why does Maggie care to try and be friendly to this woman? Because there's only 50 people at Helltop and there's 50,000, uh, oh, yeah. you know, and they, and there's also, you know, 40 guys with guns and armor, uh, 10 feet away that could easily just take them, wipe them all out without any fucking thought or, yeah, that's true. uh, so she needs to be careful, but so she needs to, you know, be friendly and, uh, gather information and find a way to determine whether or not this is something that she wants to do. Uh, so they're being unnaturally friendly towards each other. They're pretending like they're old friends in order to uh, achieve their own individual goals. It's funny. I guess I'm just so used to seeing people at odds on this show, new people, especially when you first meet a new group. No one's ever friendly. Yet here we are. These two women walk off into the forest and they're like old buddies. But you're right. They both have ulterior motives that can be furthered through being nice, I guess. Makes sense. Yeah. So cool. th that's what I took from this. It wasn't that I was thinking that it was, it was off or something wrong with the show. I just thought that they were both playing a part, uh, in order to achieve whatever they were. Doing. I mean, when, when you put it that way, it, it actually makes sense. It, it, uh, it makes me feel like there's nothing wrong with this and that they actually were thinking through what they were doing. And it's like, yeah, they need to be friendly to each other. But I guess the problem is me. I'm just so used to being, seeing people at odds that I'm like, this feels weird. This doesn't feel like the walking dead, you know? Yeah, well, you need to you need to watch more shows uh, about trade negotiations and policies and procedures and uh, you know stuff like that rather than uh, fucking zombie apocalypse, which is ancillary to this. Uh, using a lot of big words in this episode, which is ancillary to the whole. Uh, I forgot what I was saying. I got stuck in the word. <laughs> well, either way, it's it's unusual for this show, and I do have to watch more shows about trade negotiations. Yeah, you got to go back and watch Star Wars, the Star Wars prequels. You probably haven't watched them in a long time, and you need to go back and watch them. Well, we watched them with the kids during our Star Wars marathon sometime <laughs> in the last two years. That was enough. That was <laughs> enough, it. yeah. I'm done. The kids have seen it. I've seen it with the kids. We're fucking done with that shit. We are done. We will watch new Star Wars things, but not some of that old. Uh, anyways, so that's it with them for now. We go back to Ezekiel. He's at home. He's cooking something up in a frying pan. Carol comes to his door to check in on him. And uh, through chatting, he realizes that she was involved in him getting bumped up to the front of the surgery line. And he asks, what did you do? You know, he's not impressed that she did something to get him special treatment. And Carol says that Hornsby owed her a favor, but uh, I think Ezekiel feels like he's cheating the system, right? He doesn't want special, any special treatment. If anyone yeah. else needs surgery, they deserve it just as much as he does. So yeah, why, why do him? I get bumped up? There's I see suffering of these people suffering every day. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to be bumped up in the queue. 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I understand that feeling. This is the scene where he pronounces it Tommy and not Tommy. Uh, right. So I knew it was coming. Uh, back to Maggie and Milton. They're talking about kind of governing style. And, you know, Maggie says her communities are fair. And she accuses Milton of being the one who's driving a nicer car and living in a nicer house than everybody else. And Maggie wants people to look up to her uh, for her actions, not her possessions. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, a couple of walkers come by, so they kill them. And Maggie throws a knife and Milton shoots it with a rifle and blows its head off. And they kind of awkwardly acknowledge each other with a smile and a nod. But I really appreciated the difference in killing style here. One is knife. I mean, I know she throws it, but it's a knife is uh, usually way more personal. It's way more, it's way quieter, of course, yep. which is important in the zombie apocalypse. How many times have, you know, we've been in situations where don't shoot because it's too loud. It'll draw more of them. Uh, but Milton doesn't think that way. She just stands up with her rifle and blows the face off of this zombie. And uh, I liked the juxtaposition of the two here. No, it, it was very good. It was, uh, you know, it really sets uh, Milton's point of view in that, you know, I can make all the noise I want because I have uh, friends and uh, bodyguards around me that will support me in, mm -hmm. uh, if something goes sideways, whereas Maggie throws a knife to be quiet and... Uh, stealthy because if something goes sideways, she's on her own. Yeah, and that's uh, that's her mentality. It's uh, it makes perfect sense. It was really nice to see. It was it was well done, and and Maggie too more um, more efficient in a way. Like you're not using up ammunition and stuff for one zombie. You know, you yeah. save that for when you really need it. Yeah, and 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 heads are soft in this universe, so that knife is probably not going to get stuck. No, probably not at all. And again, or if there's just the one or anything. Yeah. If there's just the one, you have time to like dig it out if you have to as well. Yeah. All right. Well, after another commercial break, we are back with Eugene and he's sitting on a bench on a dock overlooking a river and somebody's painting him sitting there, uh, which I thought was interesting. I wasn't sure if that was just a random thing or if he was actually aware he was getting painted. He does look back, but I don't know. Um, I wonder if we'll see, we, we will ever see that painting again. I'm curious. Uh, maybe. Probably maybe. not. It'll be hanging up in his house later, maybe. I don't know. But Rosita arrives. She's pushing Coco in a stroller. And she sits down and they talk about coming to the Commonwealth. She says everybody is safe and they get to be together. So at least that's good. But she also talks about missing their home. And she's excited about Alexandria being fixed up. And he goes on to tell her about Stephanie sort of Kind of, anyways. He says she broke up with them, but doesn't really go into all the, the gory details. And Rosita assures Eugene that he'll find somebody someday for him. Yeah, well, that's nice. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Yeah, platitudes are always welcome. Of course, yeah. Uh, back at Hilltop, the Commonwealth has now set up a camp outside the wall of Hilltop. Diane comes to tell Maggie that they've made good on their word and are helping fix the water tower. So once again, Commonwealth is, you know, doing what they say they're going to do. Uh, Lydia says everybody seems relieved that they're there. And then she goes to say hi to Daryl and tells him that sometimes it feels pointless because some things can't be fixed. Um, 
which I thought was interesting. You know, she walks out and says, oh, great, they're fixing the water tower. Everybody feels good. And then she goes to Daryl and says, oh, this is all pointless. You just can't fix everything. <laughs> <laughs> like it was the same scene and she almost counters, uh, contradicts herself. You know, I thought it was a bit strange. A little bit strange. And I, I noticed that all the, uh, the Commonwealth soldiers are, uh, you know, putting up their camp in full armor with their masks on. It's like, uh, yeah, you know, maybe take the masks off and put up, you know, put a, a a guard out to you know watch out for zombies and mm -hmm. then you could put your mask back on if you need to but yeah you know putting up uh you know putting up a camp an encampment while wearing full armor is probably not the greatest no it probably isn't but i i've i have noticed a few times when these uh, these helmets and masks that these guys wear seem to be a little on the um wacky side or whatever do you remember in the last episode when Connie and Kelly go on the ride along with Mercer and there's those two soldiers, you know, going through the forest, one of them's injured and the zombie gets on top of the other guy. He, as he's trying to fight it off. Yeah. If you look closely, you can just see that that guy's helmet is like all gone sideways and he can't see anything out of it. And it's the most ineffective helmet, ineffective helmet that, uh, you could probably imagine. And it's just a huge hindrance more than anything else. So yeah. These these arm suits of armor are just kind of getting sillier by the episode, really. Well, they really are, and the help the brain buckets that they're wearing are just too big and sloppy because uh, they're made. We're getting into production stuff here, but it, they're yeah. one size fits all, right? They're not, uh, you know, we didn't make seven different sizes to hit fit seven different uh, uh, head types. No, uh, like they would with the uh, with any kind of military that wears helmets. It's like, okay, we have different sizes for different people. Canadian military when I was uh, when I was in the reserves, it was one size fits all. Here's your goddamn steel brain bucket, and uh, good luck with that. It's like, well, will this stop a bullet? Not a chance. No, there's no way. Any bullet that it would deflect would miss you anyway, because it would be <laughs> you know the the thing was so big that if it deflected a bullet, it probably would have missed your skull anyway. Yeah. So uh, the bucket was there for psychological value, and uh, in case uh, somebody, in case a stick fell on you, essentially. Right. If you fell down and bumped your head on a rock, it might help. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know about that. But if something fell on you, it was like a hard hat. Um, you know, if you hard hats are not great for falling down. No, they fall off. That's but, true. Uh, uh, they're good if uh, you know a piece of debris has been flung off of the scaffolding and hits you hits you right on top of the head. Yeah, uh, that that's what they're for. Yeah, uh, but mainly psychological value. But nowadays, <laughs> you know, the Kevlar helmets are actually really good at uh, that kind of thing. But they're made to fit your head, right? They have yeah. different sizes, and then there's straps on the inside. I know that the brain buckets we had had straps on the inside, so it wasn't just like wearing a bowl. But uh, you know, they would fit rather well. These are not made to the exacting standards that a military would make helmets uh, that they would require the soldiers to wear at all fucking times, except for Mercer, who lends his hat out to kids, his helmet out to kids. Exactly. Exactly. That's basically the next scene. Uh, Lance comes up and asks Maggie if they can hand out some supplies. And she says, yeah. And then we see Herschel wearing Mercer's helmet, like playing yeah. around. Yeah. It's weird. It's it's weird, right? Like that's It's a little weird not a thing that would happen is it oh but the handoff helmets all the time what uh uh rosita handed off her helmet to her partner there when she was going through the door into the with her long black hair oh, or I, white i remember 
So, you know, her buddy had the helmet, right? So, uh, you know, if you're uh, a hero, you get to hand your helmet off to whomever you want. But if you're a, a nameless soldier, uh, you don't get to take that helmet off for nothing. No, for if nothing. You, you could, you're going to have to, it's like, uh, it's like a Disney, Disney World character. If you're going to throw up, you're going to throw up in your helmet. You're not taking that thing off. I don't give a shit what happens. Your head could explode and aliens could come out. Do not take your he- your helmet off. Yeah, your your head basically your, your costume your head. head. Yeah. yeah, do not break character. Whatever yeah. you do. No, I know. We had the occasional Disney princess come to our house for birthday parties when the girls were little, and they it was the same deal. They were not allowed to break character. A kid could grab that wig and start yanking on it, but they had to somehow stay in character because that uh, was Cinderella, as far yes. as Disney's concerned. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. And even, I, I'm not even sure it was a, you know, a contractual obligation. It's more of a professional, uh, mm. you know, it's professionalism. You know, if you show up, if uh, you, you're not going to show up uh, in your, your street clothes and then get changed in the bathroom, you're no. going to show up in character and you're going to be in character until you leave. And maybe, just maybe they'll break character for five seconds to ask you for the check on their way out the door. Even then, not when we had them come over. Like she shows up in a Honda Civic and knocks on the door and says, is it okay if I park my carriage in your, your <laughs> whatever? She didn't say driveway. I can't even remember now, but uh, I'm like, yeah, come on in. And then you try to pay her at the end and she's, she's still Cinderella. Oh, know? that, that level of professionalism <laughs> makes me happy. Oh, good. I like to see that kind of thing. Good. Uh, so that, uh, that, that really makes me uh quite pleased all right well we also had uh, rapunzel come one time same same deal though nice uh where am i so herschel's wearing mercer's helmet and mercer comments how hard it must be to be a kid and daryl's kind of like yeah he's a special kid though grew up on the road yada yada they talk about how hilltop was special and it'll get back up and running uh and daryl admits that the commonwealth so far has done good by them, you know, which is something. Uh, but Mercer then says the Commonwealth isn't perfect. So again, there's something going on here. Uh, he mentions to Daryl that he was allowed to not wear his armor on this mission because it's good for appearances because Daryl's just dressed up in his regular street clothes and Mercer says they each have their roles to play. And this, this is one of the questions I had throughout the entire episode. Uh, that they answered eventually. It was just like, why is Daryl not wearing his uniform exactly? Because and so he, they answered that later because uh, it's the same reason they brought Eugene uh, to go to meet up with uh, uh, Alexandria. because mm-hmm. they needed an envoy. They needed uh, somebody to help with their trade negotiations. Yeah. So they had Daryl uh, not in uniform so that he would be more approachable and seem like uh, the Commonwealth was... Uh, much nicer. Yeah, it's 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 an important conversation between the two. It's a scene that depicts that, right? And it's just I think in a big thing that this is how they operate. You know, they know what's best for trying to get the outcome that they want and putting Daryl in his street clothes to make his former or his friends feel more comfortable makes sense and that's what they're going to do. Yep. All right, commercial break, and then we are with Ezekiel. He's in prep for surgery. Carol and Jerry are there with him to say good luck, 
and uh, he makes a comment about how pineapple does not belong on pizza, and then they wheel him away into surgery. <laughs> Incorrect. I don't know why people are so against pineapple on pizza. I like pineapple on pizza. I do too. There, it's Maybe funny. It's, is, is it because we're Canadian? Well, I don't know. Is that a Canadian thing, or is it actually a Hawaiian thing? I don't know. It's a Hawaiian pizza, but... Uh, I mean, that's what we call it, I yeah. I miss pizza. I miss pizza so much. I can't eat cheese anymore, so I can't have pizza. And I haven't had pizza in like a year and a half, and I want myself a Hawaiian pizza. I don't want to go down this road, but I I know there is a way that you could eat cheese if you wanted to. You just need to talk to a doctor and figure out what it is, and there's a way to do it, even if it's like lactose-free cheese or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's a I'm different okay it's with, a conversation for some other time. <laughs> that's the only thing. It's, uh, you know, I haven't eaten cheese in a very long time. And uh, the only thing that causes me anxiety about it is never having pizza again. Because there's some really good pizza in the Sioux. Mm-hmm. And I am dreading, dreading uh, visiting my mom again. There, the there's, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that part. But if once I go up there, I'm going to be, uh, I'm, I'm going to be upset the entire time that I'm there that I can't order an Aurora's pizza. Look, there's really good pizza in the city here too, man, that you're missing Where? out on. Come on. Uh, if you ever come over to my house again, which I think you should do at some point, bring your son over to meet the dog. Uh, there's a pizza place near me. It's the best in the neighborhood. We order it like every couple of weeks. It's so good. Anyways, different conversation. I can talk you into eating pizza some other time. Now I'm hungry. Yeah, sorry. They wheel Ezekiel away into surgery, and that's the last of we see him. Back over to Maggie at the hilltop. She's sitting on the steps. Lance comes to talk to her, and he asks whether she's decided yet about their offer. She wants to know what's in it for him, of course. And Lance just kind of goes on about how she's in over her head. And this is a good offer. He tries to convince her that she can have it so much better than Hilltop or Alexandria will ever be. And he says things like doctors, concerts, boat trips from Oceanside, you know, college or university for Herschel up the coast somewhere. Um, He says, you know, to try to imagine the world she wants to build and how much easier it will be with 50,000 Commonwealth workers working on it. The thing that's bothering me about all of this a little bit, Jason, is they never, they haven't really spelled out what it is that Commonwealth is asking of them. Is it simply an alliance saying like, join us? Or is there more to it than that? What is the offer that he's talking about that's so good? Is it just the fact that there's 50,000 of us and there's the comforts of the old society? Don't you want that? Or is there something else? Well, it's uh, it's citizenship, right? So uh, in order to be the part of the Commonwealth, you need to, there's probably a lot of uh, uh, stipulations there. There's uh, military service. There is, uh, you don't get to choose your own goddamn job. Yeah, uh, there is. Uh, you don't get to leave. Uh, you don't get. To, you know, you don't get to make your own choices anymore. Uh, so uh, the Commonwealth will choose for you. Uh, you know what is best. If we decide that this uh, this particular community is not working out and is no longer profitable, uh, we will incorporate the citizens back into the main community, mm-hmm. uh, and you won't get to choose that anymore. You don't get to be. 
your own thing. You have to be part of this thing, and then we will make all the decisions for you from this that point forward. Right, but the offer that they're extending to them is that look at all the good stuff here. You know, we have all these people, and we have all these these things that you want that you'll never be able to build here. That's that's it. That's the extent of the offer. It's like we're so great, so you should want to join us. Yeah, but Maggie sees it as you just described, right? There's definitely a downside to that, obviously. Yeah, you lose your autonomy, right? You lose your, you know, you don't get to take pride of ownership anymore because you no longer, uh, it's no longer yours. It's no longer your community. It's uh, it's the society, the Commonwealth society. Do you think this is why they, they showed us that opium farm in the last episode? You know, they're not really part of the Commonwealth, or at least Lance says they're kind of Commonwealth adjacent. And we know there's money involved, so they must be able to go and spend their money there. But this is a community that's kind of like half joined and it's not really working out for them. Uh, maybe, but they also have, uh, they have, a, they have uh, negotiation power, right? They, you know, when you have an opium farm, you can probably write your own ticket as to what you want. And uh, you don't have to be a part of the Commonwealth because you have what the Commonwealth wants. And if you, as long as you keep, providing it mm-hmm. the second you stop that's when you're gonna get problems but uh if you have something the commonwealth wants they will trade you for it whereas yeah. uh, you know if maggie says no uh you know it's no skin off their nose uh you know the commonwealth knows until they have something that uh, the commonwealth wants and then they're gonna fucking take it so then why are lance and the commonwealth well it's mostly lance why is he so desperate to get Maggie and everybody on board because Alexandria, Oceanside, and Hilltop have virtually nothing that the Commonwealth could want except maybe the expertise or the experience of the people. It's the people. People are uh, the most valuable resource uh, we have. Yeah. Uh, Right? So, uh, you know, you can can have all the apple trees in the world, but if you don't have people to pick the apples and put them in bushels and bring them to the apple pie factory, because what else do you do with apples? Mm then the apple trees are worthless. So uh, you need the people. So the whole the whole point here is to keep growing the community. It's uh, and they're prob- probably their uh, their model of uh, society is not sustainable unless they continuously grow the population. Yeah. As long as the population is growing, then uh, uh, then you will continue to have the society you want. It's a goddamn human Ponzi scheme. So it's, uh, you know, there's probably uh, not a lot going on internally, but as long as you keep getting a constant influx of people, then you can, uh, uh, you can keep up the ruse. Right. And I wonder if, I wonder if this is all about Maggie, like, you know, Aaron, mentioned how great she is oceanside defers to her basically for decisions in these things like i wonder if lance just looks at her and goes you know she's who we want and we're willing to tow all you other guys along too if we have to to get maggie into the commonwealth for because she's so valuable so valuable a leader kind of thing um I don't know. I got to think it's something like that because it doesn't, it seems like they're going to an awful lot of trouble to get everybody on board when they could just try to convince Maggie or they could just say, forget it. You know, you're just one person. We still have 50,000 others. We'll be fine without you. Well, maybe it's that, uh, you know, maybe it is Maggie. Maybe it is, uh, you know, 
the whole point is to get Maggie because they know that people will flock to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she will lead them. And if there's going to be any kind of threat from an external community at this point, it's going to be under Maggie's banner. So we better bring her on board. Mm-hmm. And if we don't get her, we don't, uh, we don't give a shit about any of you other people yeah. because, uh, you know, if she doesn't get on board, then, uh, we're going to have to take her out. Yes. Well, all right. Well, we may come to that. I don't know. We'll see as this goes on. Now, they're having this conversation, Lance and Maggie, and then somebody all of a sudden yells that a swarm is coming. So Maggie jumps up to help, and then she leaves with Lydia, Diane, and Elijah to kill some zombies. Cut to them in the forest killing zombies. <laughs> now, sure. they're they're doing a great job at it, but my first thought was like, okay, we got all these commonwealth soldiers standing around where are they you know why aren't they helping uh kill them and then mercer slowly walks up behind them to help and then finally a group of troopers arrive and open fire on a cluster of zombies uh that are that they're there trying to kill and before i say it jason is there anything you want to say about this scene where they come and open fire on these zombies well, I mean, there was a lot of people in the line of fire there. Yeah. What you were going to bring up? Were there ever. Yeah. Okay. So, but that's fine. Uh, really? You know, it is in a way, and I'll explain that in a second. Uh, so this kind of makes sense to me because, uh, you know, Maggie's uh, crew is very agile. They're small and agile. And if there's a threat, they all go out and do what they need to do. The, uh, the Commonwealth soldiers need to be mustered. Uh, they don't need to be like mustered on hot dog. They need to be collected, gathered, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. marched out or, you know, led out to where they need to be uh, and then put in a situation or put in a, in a formation where they need to, or the, where they can take care of it. That takes a little, little bit of time. Sure. Right. You can't take a, and the larger army that you have, the longer that shit takes. Right. So small units are very, very agile and mobile, whereas you have whole armies just like, okay, we can get the army there, but it's going to take a while. Mm-hmm. So that all makes sense to me. And as far as, uh, as shooting goes, uh, I was okay with that because I'm assuming that this, uh, legion or this group of soldiers is highly trained. Uh, they're not, but, uh, I assumed that they were highly trained and, uh, quite competent and you have special, okay. I'm going to talk about special forces in the, uh, specifically the U S military and even SWAT teams. When they practice going in and breaching uh, buildings, what they do is they have firing ranges that they set up and they have, uh, they have walls that they can move around to, to have different configurations. So when the team is going into a, uh, you know, through a door, they don't know what the configuration is uh, inside. It's a surprise to them when they get in there mm-hmm. and they have to move around and they have uh, targets that they need to shoot. Each team member takes turns being in that room or in that building, pretending to be hostages, standing around. Yep. And the, the other soldiers come in with live weapons and start shooting and taking out the, uh, taking out the targets with actual, you know, uh, human beings inside of there, uh, that they're not supposed to shoot. And they all take turns doing that. So they know how important it is to be consistent and to be accurate because you know that, uh, sure, somebody's taken or allowing their life in your, your, their life in your hands while you breach that door. But in, uh, 15 minutes from now, you're going to be relying on them to not shoot you in the head by accident coming through that door. 
So if I assume that the Commonwealth soldiers are trained under Mercer's uh, leadership to be that accurate, uh, you know, opening fire on a, a set of zombies, uh, they all have pre, um, pre-selected targets, right? They're not all shooting at the same zombie, mm-hmm. right? They all know what, the, what they need to shoot at. They all are accurate, highly trained, effective, and will not shoot uh, the unexpected targets. Well, I think that's a big assumption, but I guess it's possible. I sat there and was like, boy, there's a lot of people just standing around directly in the line of fire, yet only the zombies were hit. Well, I, and I and maybe that speaks to the, the, the level of training that these, uh, these, uh, soldiers have. I mean, it's a lot to ask of a group of people wearing foam armor, <laughs> but, <Yes. laughs> uh, that's what I assumed when this happened was that they are right. uh, on a, a highly trained elite force that is capable of doing this on a consistent basis without, uh, uh, without a lot of fear. Yeah. Well, they must be cause it worked out. Uh, anyways, later, uh, they're cleaning up the bodies and Diane mentions that it would be great to not have to deal with this anymore. And then speaking of the formation taking time, Jason, now Mercer calls his soldiers into formation. Uh, we see Milton, Lance, and Aaron kind of show up in the distance. Maggie looks at them and then Mercer tells Dixon to fall in and uh, Dixon, I mean, Daryl, of course, to fall in. Mercer uses the name Dixon though. And then Daryl goes, yeah, hold on. <laughs> and Mercer comes over and reminds him that they are always watching. And then he marches his troops and Daryl away. What a gaggle fuck that was. Did oh you see God. that? That was just, uh, you know, forward. First of all, the commands that this completely, uh, counters the, previous statements I was making about the uh, the professionalism of these soldiers and the right. highly trained effectiveness. They can't fucking march to save their goddamn lives. They were the worst I have ever seen a group of soldiers marching. Daryl, on his own, was just fucking lollygagging around, looking around, and uh, and some of the soldiers were out of step. Yeah. They were it just, just, it was the biggest gaggle fuck it, that I've seen in a th- long time. This is just not, horrible. This is just not how the military works, basically. Take 15 minutes, 15 minutes to put these extras uh, through some kind of marching training. That's all. Like the one soldier in the back got off on the wrong foot. Mm-hmm. There's, that happens. It, it's happened to me. You know, learning how to march, you get off on the wrong foot. You take five seconds and you teach them how to do their shuffle step. You just mm-hmm. do this weird shuffle step and you're autumn, you're just, you're back in the step with the rest of everybody. Yeah. You just fucking correct it. Yeah, yeah. And you don't swing your arms, the same arm as the same leg because that's bear walking. I saw somebody bear walking. It was, it was just, it was the absolute worst. 15 minutes of training <laughs> these extras would have gone a long way. Yeah. Well, the thing that jumped out at me is like, Daryl is supposed to be a soldier. I know he's not in uniform. But you don't just say, yeah, hold on to your commanding officer. No, like, you do not what say. What happens you, in real life if you do that? Uh, you better be wearing a helmet because you're about to get whacked in the head with something. Yeah. So I know this is zombie apocalypse. It is a different kind of military, like all these sorts of things, right? But it just didn't feel like a thing. And then Mercer comes over and is like, they're always watching. Okay. Like who exactly? Like who's around? I mean, I know Maggie is looking at all this. Milton and Lance are like way over there. I mean, are they paying attention? It doesn't really seem like it. So 
I don't know. It was the whole thing just felt weird and off to me. And like, is Daryl a part of this? Is he a soldier or not? You know, yeah. and I well, get not by we, the looks of the way he was marching. I, I get that we already talked about he's there for a different reason at this time. But then why is he being like marched into the troop and marched off anyways? And like you said, just kind of lollygagging along, you know, it, yeah. it, none of it comes together very well, I don't think. Yeah, I would think twice about saying, yeah, hold on to my wife asking me to do something. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You know, <laughs> Not let alone my commanding officer. There you go. Like, uh, you know, can you do this for me? Yeah, hold on. Um, well, he might go over it, depending on what's going on. But it, depending on the think, situation. I would think about it. I would consider my words before saying it. I, I don't think I would just say, yeah, hold on to my commanding officer. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. I can just, uh, everybody, everybody would be doing push ups for the next half hour. If I, if somebody said, anybody said, yeah, hold on. Yeah, that's right. And then yes, they're not going to be very happy with you, your fellow soldiers. No. <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, Maggie watches all of this happen and then she approaches Milton and tells her that the hilltop is going to pass on their offer May, uh, Milton asks her why, and Maggie says, because everything costs something. And I actually appreciated how this scene kind of all wrapped up, because I think Maggie watched Daryl in that situation. And even though he was still kind of being Daryl, he was part of this organization. He was being marched away. He was being told what to do. And I think she looks at that and goes, that's not the Daryl Dixon I know. If we get yeah. involved with these people, it it's going to cost us who we are. And it's obviously already happened to Daryl, and she doesn't want that to happen to herself or any of the other people that are left with her. Yep. So, so it, there was a point to it all, I think. I just think it wasn't really... It was a it was a weird way to get there, in a way, right? Like a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't make any sense until it does, and then... You're like, well, it still wouldn't happen that way, but it kind of paid itself off because of where it got Maggie to. Right. So anyways, um, after a break, we come back and Eugene has gone to Max's apartment. She opens the door and he offers her some ice cream. So she lets him in and he sees all her radio electronics there. He apologizes for everything and says that Hornsby was in his head and he was bruised and confused and he sort of wasn't being himself. He mentions his novel and she seems to sort of guess at some of the details. And that was a kind of a cute scene. And then she questions how after everything they shared on the radio, how is it possible he didn't know it was her? And uh, he just doesn't answer and he apologizes again. Well, it happens, yeah. right? You know, I remember, remember that time, remember, remember the, the time that somebody broke into my computer and uh, messaged you on, uh, on Skype? I do. That was weird, and, man. And it, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't quite right. Uh, you know, it wasn't using my, uh, my phraseology. And, I had an uh, off feeling about it. Like I sort of knew it wasn't you, but I didn't want to believe it. Well, right. Well, that's my point is that, yeah. uh, you know, you, it's, it's hard to believe that somebody's saying that they're, they're somebody else, uh, you know, is, is not the person they're, they're, they're reporting to be. And, uh, it was just a quick little conversation, but it did seem a little bit, uh, off to you. And I, when I read the conversation later, when I came back to my computer, I was just like, I wouldn't use that phrase. That wasn't me. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, uh, uh, it was, I had a, 
I opened up a port and left a VNC app running mm-hmm. and somebody found the port and, uh, to, got through the encryption and got into my computer and didn't do a whole lot. And they were gone uh, shortly after once they figured out, uh, that I didn't save my passwords to my bank accounts and stuff. And I have a password manager rather than, uh, you know, leaving everything in the browser. Uh, so they fucked off and then I shut down all VNC and then reinstalled windows. Yeah. Start fresh. <laughs> Start it over. <laughs> Cause you never know what's on there at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's kind of what happens here. So he was confused, but he didn't know it was her. Um, he also says now he's always been so insecure, uh, that part of him believed that their connection was all in his head anyways. You know, he just doesn't know how to handle this kind of situation. And he says he never meant to hurt her. And then he actually delivers one of my favorite lines of this episode and maybe of any of the episode episodes. He says, I didn't mean to hurt you, but my intent doesn't excuse my impact. Yeah. Right. Regardless of what I was trying to do, you're the one who ended up upset and hurt. And that's what's important. You know, that's what really matters in this situation. Yeah. So everybody's responsible for their own actions. Yeah. Regardless of what you intended to do, you're still responsible for what happened. For what happened. Yeah, exactly. And I, I liked that whole idea here. And uh, I, I'm happy that Eugene came to that realization and showed up and apologized and said that to her. And he's like, how can I make this uh, any better? You know, how can I fix this? Um, she asks to read his novel and he says he burned the only copy, but luckily... As you said, Jason, he's committed most of it to memory. (laughs) Yep. You know, good for him. And then they talk and they joke about some of the details. And they, the show really depicted that Max kind of understands him. She gets him, right? She gets what he would write about. She sees, she understands his personality and, and she just can see Eugene for who he is. And I like that too. It's nice when you can, you can, uh, you can meet somebody, uh, and bond on such a level that eventually you just share a, an IQ. Right. That's all you, that's all I want. Yeah. You know? Uh, so that was a nice scene. We go back over to Hilltop and the Commonwealth is packing up to leave because they don't have anything to do here anymore. Maggie's saying goodbye to Daryl. And then Diane shows up and tells Maggie that she is leaving and that some of the others are going with her. Maggie says, you know, you have to be careful who you trust, but Diane claims that you also have to know when to ask for help. And so, you know, not a lot is going on here. So we're going with the Commonwealth. Sorry, Maggie. That's, uh, that's what we're doing. And the look on Maggie's face is good here. She seems really distraught and really, I got the feeling that this character is unsure if she's doing the right thing. You know, I thought Lauren Cohan did a great job there. Uh, I, I also, Jason, it occurred to me that this could be Diane's final scene on the show. Like, oh, think yeah. about it. You know, if she's moving into the Commonwealth, are we going to see her like mixed into the general population there? Are they going to write more storylines for Diane? Like they ever really wrote that many, but uh, you know, she's been around a long time and I feel like this was her like final goodbye in a way. We're halfway through season 11 and I think Diane might be done. I think I agree with you. They could prove me wrong. Maybe next episode she's right there front and center, you know, but uh, I don't know. I just had a feeling because this is going to start to happen. You know, characters that uh, 
have been side characters, background characters, whatever. We're going to we're going to get their final scenes eventually. And Diane is one of those funny ones who's had lines in episodes for seasons now, but never really been front and center. And it's the kind of situation where she's someday her last line is going to be spoken and we're never going to see her again. So I think we might have just seen it. Yep. All right. Well, uh, where are we? Lance goes and he enters Milton's tent. It hasn't been taken down yet. And he says that they still have Alexandria and he needs more time to get the other two. But Pamela Milton says it's over. It was a bold move trying to get three new groups to join. And she accuses Lance of doing this just because he knew that somebody would have to run these communities and he wanted to be the one to do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, there it is. There's his motivation. Yeah, I guess he's looking for... A fiefdom. There you go. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But he's not getting it so far. Um, She says he can keep trying to get them if he wants to, but if his job at home starts to suffer, there will be consequences. Yeah, she says something in this conversation that... uh, And I didn't write it down. She says uh, something along the lines of, you've been doing this our whole lives. Did you catch that? Yeah, our whole lives. So are they related? Related or just know know each other from the before times? Well, you know, you don't say our whole, I wouldn't say, I've known you from the before times Yeah, uh, for a long time. I wouldn't say the phrase, you've been doing this for our whole lives to you. No. Because I didn't know you for our whole lives. No. Uh, So- that phrase makes me wonder about their relationship. I'm like, are they brother or sister? I don't think that that's true, but are they are they childhood friends? Cousins? Cousins? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It is a weird it is a weird way to say that. Yeah. You're right. I don't know. Maybe there's more to their relationship. I I was sort of thinking it's I find it interesting that she's giving him a bit of a leash to say like, you can go do this if you want. Like, I'm not going to stop you, but it better not affect your day to day job because that's what we need you for. So yeah. I mean, she's given him enough rope to hang himself. That's exactly what she's done. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's created a bit of a rift between the two, right? Uh, you, you feel like, they're very tight, these two. Even though we know Lance is up to something and all that, right? I just felt like there was a, a connection here and he was really into doing his job. But now he's he's trying to do this and he he's obsessed with it, right? And she's given him the rope and he's probably going to hang himself. Yep. Now, having said that, uh, he leaves, goes out into the forest and he fires a gun straight up in the air, which causes some zombies to approach. So look at that gunshots approach, uh, um, attract zombies, go figure. Yeah. He, he starts shooting them. Aaron shows up behind him, tries to get his attention. And then Aaron asks what Milton said about Alexandria. So clearly Aaron is still on board. He still wants to make this deal, even if it's just with Alexandria. And Lance responds that she is on board and they're going to bring even more people in. And then he turns around and he says, get ready, Aaron, we're going to remake the world. And then shoots another zombie at close range. And we are done for the episode. Orangeby's got a plan. 
Hornsey's got a plan. He seems like he's becoming unhinged. And uh, I, I have a feeling that maybe Hornsby is going to turn out to be like the big bad villain uh, from Commonwealth. You, you assume it's going to be the Pamela Milton, right? She's the leader. She's going to be like the bad guy or at least represent the bad guy or the bad force here. But I think it's Hornsby. He's the uh, one who doesn't seem like he's all there. And he's playing a lot of angles, you know? He's doing whatever he's doing with uh, the Stephanie and the Eugene thing, and he's running his day job, and he's trying to get Alexandria and everybody on board, and he's trying to make Milton happy. He's going to crack under the pressure, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, probably. He's got too much going on, so. Uh, I couldn't remember Diane's uh, real name when I was talking about her a minute ago, but it's Carrie Cahill, so... If if that was her last scene, um, congratulations of, you know, playing Diane for all these years. Absolutely. Hopefully we get to see you again, though. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so off the top, Jason, I said that I thought this episode dragged a little, was a little bit slow, and I thought kind of it was a bit weird considering its subject matter. After talking it through with you, I do think I enjoyed it a little bit more, but um, you never said, I don't think, what your sort of thoughts overall on it were. So did you like this one or, or how did you feel about it? It was okay. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was all right. I mean, I do like a good episode about trade negotiations, but uh, there was very, very little uh, contractual uh, discussion. So they didn't discuss contracts or signatures no. or, you know, statements of work or master service agreements or any of that stuff, which is, you know, be way up my alley. Right. So, uh, you know, if they had, uh, you know, Talking about stuff is great and negotiating things is great, but, uh, you know, the shit don't mean shit until you put it on paper. So, uh, I didn't see enough, uh, you know, sitting around a boardroom table, uh, mm -hmm. uh, discussing the, uh, the minute details of, uh, contractual clauses. Yeah. I like, would have liked to have seen that. I'm sure you would have. Yeah. Would have made this even more fascinating. Right. It, it's, it's a lot of, um, uh, I don't know what you even call it, right? There was a ton of all of this trade negotiations. We got the sort of mechanics of getting Eugene, not Eugene, uh, Ezekiel into surgery, which is great. And I'm glad they didn't give us too much there because that none of that is like really exciting either. I'm just happy he's going for the surgery. Yeah, they didn't sign any liability waivers either there. No. Uh, so, uh, you know, that kind of thing would have been part of it. They didn't put that in the episode at all. No, they didn't at all. And then the third thing was the Max and Eugene stuff and, you know, him learning, uh, having his eyes open to all of that. Part of me feels like that storyline here would have been a little more interesting to delve into deeper. But instead, we got all the trade negotiation stuff, um, which fine it's important it tells us the position of the different groups what maggie wants what she's going to do and and so on and and it did expose lance as being this guy who's got a lot of irons in the fire and you know he's going to get burned by one of them or two of them at some point that's great but man i just thought going around to all each of these communities and meeting with the people and it <laughs> It was a little much. It was a little much for me. And they, they could have maybe somehow done this, told this a little bit more efficiently or balanced it better with a little bit more Eugene and Max or something like that. So I I like it a little bit more now that I've said it all out loud. 
But I think this one, for me, was the weakest of the four episodes we've got in the second block of season 11. Yeah. And if I'm trying to, I'm going to try and give you a, uh, uh, my thoughts on it without being facetious. So, uh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that's going to happen. So at least I can be sarcastic. Uh, I, there was nothing I actively disliked about this episode. That's uh-huh. why I say meh. There was nothing that was absolutely fantastic, but there was nothing I actively disliked. So it was, uh, uh, it was kind of meh for me. It was okay. I don't mm-hmm. think it was a fantastic episode, but I don't think it was a, a, a horrendous train wreck uh, that we've seen in the past. But it wasn't, uh, you know, the pinnacle of uh, modern entertainment that I've also seen in the past. Yeah, for sure. So, and when you think about it, I mean, has The Walking Dead ever really had a complete train wreck of an episode? I don't think dumpster. so. There's a, uh, you know, the uh, dumpster fire episode of the dumpster episode. Yeah, I mean, I'm, there's definitely been train wreck moments for sure, but there's also been uh, masterpiece type moments over the years too. This episode was just all kind of in the middle, meh, right? Yeah, you know, and you know, to be frank, th- that's exactly what I strive my life to be. Uneventful. Uh, you know, I do not <laughs> want it to be a masterpiece, but I also don't want it to be a dumpster fire. I'm aiming, my entire life goal is to aim for the middle of the road. That's all I've ever wanted. Sure. It's just, you know, stay in the lane. Uh, that's fine. Don't go off the road. Don't go up a hill. Don't go down a hill. Just <laughs> stay on the road. Everything's fine. I want everything to be okay. Jason, straight as an arrow miles. That's what they call you. I do not want to achieve heights. I don't want to end up uh, living in a cardboard box, uh, which frankly might happen because of my current retirement plan, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, it all depends. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at that. That'd be very sad if it did. <laughs> yeah, it won't happen. Once again, if either of us wins the lottery, we hire the other person, pay a great salary, and then uh, we both live happily ever after. That's right. And, and our see, families. And it, and it, yeah, of course. And if that happens, then we can start talking about negotiations and we sign contracts. That would be you great. See, see how much fun that could be winning the lottery? Because then we all of a sudden have contractual negotiations. Amazing. Perfect. Yeah, I love it. We got to start working on that plan, man. Your plan of winning the lottery? Let's, yeah. let's, yeah. yeah let's yeah. write, what's the plan? You get to write, first of all, you have to enter some kind of lottery. I guess that's the plan. That is you the know? plan. You can't win if you don't enter. So We've, we got to start entering. Lottery. I think we failed on step one because that's not yeah, a thing step, I do. Yeah. Step one is a bust. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's the episode, everyone. Um, you know, obviously send in your feedback, thoughts, comments uh, on this one for our feedback show coming up later in the week. Now, before we wrap up for the evening, as always, with every new episode of The Walking Dead in Season 11, it is time to give away a prize. And Jason, I am excited to announce to you and to everyone for the first time that we finally have a name for what we're doing here. What? Yeah. The, this comes from Laura in Buffalo, New York. Good old Buffalo. You know, it's the second time that city's come up on this podcast. She wrote an email and said, clearly, I mean, this weren't her words exactly, but she said it has to be called the Patreon Prize Palooza. Oh, yeah. But I want to make a slight. perfect. Yeah, I know. It is. (laughs) I want to make a slight amendment to it to make it even more perfect, though. I want to call it the Patreon Prize Palooza because put put an A in between. I feel it rolls off the tongue a little bit better. So the Patreon Prize Palooza. 
And it only took us 12 episodes to get a, a name for this thing. That's great. I like it. And I like alliteration and I like P alliterations the, uh, the best. You want to hear my, you want to hear my P alliteration? Is it going to take a long time? It's going to take a little while. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers and put them on Papa Piccolino's pepperoni pizza with pimentos and played Parcheesi with Paul and Penelope and Portly Pamela's pink pair of pajama pants with the Pittsburgh Pirates and the purple puppies from the planet past Pluto. And those have no petite pair of pants. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I made it up before Pluto was not a planet anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All right, well, that's good. So Patreon prize of Palooza. That's yeah. what we have. Yeah. So... With that in mind, this week's prize is a, a water bottle that says Lucille is thirsty on the side. And there's a picture of Lucille. And also that uh, zom- 3D looking zombie print thing I have and the red and blue 3D glasses that go with it. So, Jason, please pick our Patreon prize of Palooza winner for today. So what I did for picking this uh, particular winner is uh, I decided to go with a March Madness kind of thing. I'm not entirely sure what March Madness is, but uh, I think it has to do with basketball I, and uh, bracketing. I think it has uh, to do with basketball, uh, college basketball in the college States. College basketball, yeah. okay. So yeah. you, what you do is you, you pitch two, or you put pit two teams together and find find a winner, and then the winner of those get uh, pitted against the winner of previous matches, uh, <laughs> and so eventually you get down to the get down to the winner. Winner. That that's yeah. right. I mean they okay. the the they move on into brackets. That's right. Okay, through, so, through brackets. Yeah. So that's what I did. I went through the, the brackets and in order to, uh, to pick the winners. Now, uh, I had, I had a couple of options here for uh, picking the winner between, uh, between two different, uh, uh, patrons. One was to have them actually fight, but the logistics of that, uh, are horrendous, uh, as well as, uh, I wouldn't want anybody to fight anybody else. No. So, uh, you know, maybe I was thinking of rock, paper, scissors. I was thinking of picking a number. Uh, but then, you know, this, the logistics of contacting everybody was a little bit uh, a little bit odd. So what I did was I downloaded this app. So this app is called the Universe Splitter. So this gets a little bit weird. Uh, but what it is is uh, the app actually, every time you put in two choices and you go, go ahead and choose. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the app... Uh, sends a request to a, a special device that, um, uh, so the universe splitter will immediately contact a laboratory in Geneva, which wow. is reading from their website here, uh, and uh, connect uh, to a Qantas brand quantum device, uh, which uh, releases a single photon to a partially silvered mirror. And the idea is that uh, each photon will simultaneously bounce off the mirror and pass through it. Each of those events happen in a separate universe. So it's uh, the multi-universe theory, basically, uh, you know, quantum choices. So when you have a choice that goes through this partially silvered mirror, uh, whether the photon bounces off or goes through it, both things happen. One happens in this universe, one happens in another universe that immediately gets split off from our universe. This is a quantum choice. So you have both choices, and then the app reports back to you what the choice is, what the result of that experiment is in this universe. The other universe will get a message saying that they should do the other thing. So both things happen. Only you, only one thing can happen in this universe. The one that splits off, the other thing happens. 
Okay. So the bracketing that went off you know, th- that I did this with is when each of the patrons were pitted off against each other and put into this quantum uh, app that sends the uh, sends the, uh, the the choices to Geneva. Both people win, right? So you have one winner that happens in this universe, and the other there's a whole other universe where the other person won. So with all of the patrons that we had going through this quantum. Uh, universe splitter app that I downloaded. Uh, basically, everybody wins. In, there is some universe out there where every single patron has won this particular week. Well, that's very cool. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Are you able to determine who won in this particular universe? Well, that's the thing is that the app tells you who won in this universe. And then there's a whole tree that gets built of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the choices that, uh, so this universe has a particular winner and I'll tell you that winner in a second, but I just wanted to emphasize that if you didn't win, if you're not the name I'm about to say, there's another universe out there specifically made where you had won the prize. So everybody wins the prize in some universe in this universe. The winner is Sean H. Well, there you go. Congratulations, Sean H. And I guess congratulations to any everybody yeah. in all these multi-universi that you created doing this. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I guess I created a bunch of universes specifically to uh, for the, for this. So there's you know there's just there's a bunch of universes out there where uh, everybody won. This one is Sean H. There's another, there's another universe right next door where somebody else won. So there's there's a universe out there where you won. Uh, if you're a patron and listening to this, you won in some universe. I'm sorry, not this one. Yeah, not this one. In this one, it's Sean H. So, Sean, congratulations. I will be in touch via email to figure out how to get your prize out to you. And, uh, yeah, so look look for that. If you want to get in on the Patreon prize of Palooza for an upcoming episode, and we are now, of course... Halfway through the season, so we have 12 more to give away after this. Visit patreon.com slash thetalkingdead and sign up to be a patron of the show. Any amount is very, very much appreciated, and it gets you in on the action. Um, You know, the same person can't win twice, so there are now 12 people eliminated from the... can, uh, from the running for future prizes uh, so the odds get better and better um, unless more people join but you know we don't need to go into those details right now but patreon.com slash the talking dead to become a patron and have a chance at uh, winning a prize in the patreon prize of palooza as we move through the rest of season 11 so thanks so much to everyone who does that congratulations to sean h and i'll be in touch all right that is all for this week on the Talking Dead podcast. If you want to get in touch with us for any other reason, that is fantastic. A good reason, though, is because we do a feedback show later in the week and you want to get your feedback on the show. Make your thoughts known, right? Surely. Yeah. You can visit our website at talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail at the top and you can record a message or just record your thoughts into like a voice memo app on your phone or even your computer and then send us the file. The audio file generally sounds really good that way. So it's a great option to do that. Send those emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're so inclined, you can find us on Twitter at talkingdead as well. I try to uh, interact there as much as I can. 
Uh, all right. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Until next time when we do the feedback show, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.